but mine was a mixture of some highs and lows. Uh, I got some great time with my family, which is always a great high for me. Uh, but yesterday was a pretty emotional day for me. I don't know what it was like for you. Um, just to reflect that it's been 20 years since the 9-11 September uh, terrorist attacks. And uh, I was just watching some shows last night on it, and I just got really emotional. And I just had to do some praying. And, and we just thought that today, even though it's the day after, um, it would be good just for us as a church family just to spend some time in silence and in remembrance and in just some prayer. And so we're just going to have a moment of silence and remembrance and prayer. Uh, prayer for the people and really our nation that still hurts and grieves when we see the remembrance of it. Um, and the families who lost loved ones. Um, silence to honor those who, when the buildings were burning, they rushed in to save others and to commemorate and honor those who sacrificed their lives to save as many as they could. And so let's just spend a moment in prayer and a moment in silence, and then I'll uh, close this out. we come to you and we claim some scriptures we claim the truth of your word that says you are near to the brokenhearted be near to uh, those of us in this room and people around the united states and the world that are hurting as they remember 
May your presence be God. We remember, Lord, your faithfulness and your goodness that we just sang about. You've been faithful all of our lives and all of human history, and you're still good. Even if everything doesn't make sense to us. And so, God, now we also claim Romans 8, 28, that you're still a God who works all things together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And we pray that even 20 years, 30 years in the the future, and maybe even hundreds of years after this, that you would still be using the great evil that happened that day and working it for our good, for your people's good, and for your glory. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. You can be uh, seated. Well, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Paul Cunningham, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, this is a great month for us as a church. We really have been just so thankful for what God has been doing in our midst, and, and specifically of how we've seen people re-engaging uh, for the first time in a long season as we've gotten to get back into our church home and just get in front of each other. This past uh, week, we got to have a Bible and breakfast time with our men, and it was great just to see like 30 or 35 men, right, Rob, just together um, eating some good breakfast, some breakfast sandwiches. It was awesome. And also just getting the word together. And we have some other opportunities coming up, but I thought it'd be good just to give you a little bit of vision of why we do some of these things. Um, we have four commitments as a church. And two of them, the first two is that we live for Jesus and we live as family. And really those two go together. We want to be a people who live for Jesus and increasingly become more and more by his grace like Jesus. But we also believe that we can't do that alone. That that happens when we're with other people in community and we're living together as families. And so that's why we do different things that we do is to give you opportunities to step into community for those of you who don't have one. So that not only can you have a family, a church family, but also that those people can help spur you to become more like Jesus and live for Jesus. And there's two great opportunities coming up over the next couple of weeks to do that. Uh, One is a week from Monday. It's going to be our next women's ministry event, Dessert and Devotion. It's going to be both in person here and on Zoom. You can find out more information on our website, RedeemerNW.org. Go to the bottom of the page where our events are, and you can find out more information there. Uh, But another great thing coming up, uh, GC's is uh, probably our best way. If you are new or maybe you haven't found your tribe or community here, it's, I think, the best way for you to find that here and to start living as family with others. And, and so the best way to get into a GC is called a GC launch experience. It's going to be um, this coming week, but then also next Sunday after services. So we have two experiences coming up that you can see here on the 14th in just a couple days at night. Um, and then also after our next Sunday uh, morning worship next week. And so, but again, the whole point of us doing this is just to help us together more and more re-engage and live together as family. Well, a couple weeks ago, we said that this month was not just about getting connected into community. It was also about celebration. And today, we have a lot to celebrate. In a few minutes, um, Rob is going to get to announce our next uh, church planning team, which is going to be amazing. But I want to also give you a heads up that after our service today, after 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a barbecue um, over at the Benjamin's house. And it's going to be a great time to re-engage and to have fun and to eat some good food. But the big thing we're doing is celebrating a baptism today. Um, if you're not familiar, if you're kind of new to church, baptism is a way that we get to honor what Jesus has done for and in someone in a very visual, experiential way. And so today, now I'm going to get, eat some good food. We're going to get to celebrate what God has done in a young man's life named Peyton. 
And I thought it would be cool before we actually head over there this afternoon to do that together. By the way, we checked the weather. It's clearing. It's going to be awesome this afternoon, okay? It's going to be great. If it was raining, we were already like, listen, Peyton's going to get wet anyway, so ah, we'll just go ahead and go with it. But hey, going to be good weather. Hope you join us. But hey, we thought it'd be really good for you to get to see a snapshot of Peyton's story and what God has done in his life. So turn to the screen with me, and we'll watch this together. <laughs> All right. I can't point to one specific moment in my life, but I grew up in the church and God has put people in my life that have influenced that over time, such as the church, my dad and my uncle Lee, to name a few. The reason I want to get baptized is because I believe that I'm a Christian. It's something I've been wrestling with over the last year and why do we get baptized? And it's because Jesus died on the cross for our sins and I've accepted that and believe it to be true. And it's really just that simple. Jesus did all the work and I just need to believe that. Paul, we ordered up. I mean, you're new to this area, and so this you didn't get much of a summer um, like we typically have it because it was actually sunshine. So we thought from the barbecue today we would have rain. And what you'll find is we'll come out in cargo shorts, socks, and Birkenstocks. So that's the dress code for later today. Um, it's great to see. If I met you, I'm Rob. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. We, um, we as a church, we have two really big goals. We, we want to make disciples and we want to plant churches. And today we get to celebrate both of those things um, in baptism, and then also through the announcement of our, our next church planning team. And so with the Wilkes, would you come on down? Why don't you come forward? As they come down, um, this is a huge deal for us. This is a huge deal for us. I've known Zach for, I think, about five, six years. He's been a part of Redeemer, served in the kids' ministry um, throughout that, that time uh, constantly. Um, we began to work together on what they're about to announce for three years or so. Naomi, as they started dating about three plus years ago, uh, transitioned over to this church. And so I've gotten to know Naomi over the last three years and just getting to hear their story and their passion, their experience, which we'll give you more of, but I don't want to, I don't want to like reveal too much. So I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you share what God's calling you to, what you're doing. Um, and then, uh, might ask you some questions. I'm not sure I didn't give you them before you came up, but that's how we like to do it. So That's okay. We'll do it. <laughs> hey, guys. I want to ask you to imagine what your life would be like if you never knew the Lord Jesus and you never knew his grace or his love. You never knew that the Father above loves you. Let's take it one step further. Let's imagine what your life would be like if you didn't even know a Christian. That's kind of the reality for over 14 million people in East Asia. A whole people group cut off from the gospel. Among them, there is one one hundredth of a percent of Christians. That's one for every 10,000. That's like in all of Linden, you got one believer. <laughs> That's not good. That's is not God's plan for humanity. And so we want to go over there to East Asia, and we want to proclaim. This became really personal to me when I was in college, and I was talking with an Asian student, friend of mine, 
And I asked her if she had seen a church before. And she said, no, I've never seen a church before. So I asked her, well, you know, have you seen a Bible before? Christians read the Bible. And she's like, no, I've never seen a Bible. She'd never even met a Christian before in her home country. She, she thought there were none. She thought that believing in Jesus simply wasn't an option for her because she'd never heard of someone from her home country becoming a Christian. I just sat back kind of stunned at how completely cut off she was from the gospel. And I started to think, I mean, she's never had someone pray for her. She's never been told God loves you. She's never heard of the word grace before, much less experienced it. And she could tell that this saddened me that she hadn't heard of Jesus. And so she said, well, I know. You should just come to my hometown and tell everyone about Jesus, and then they'll know. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> and to put it very simply, that's really why we're here, because we believe no one should live and die without ever hearing the good news of the gospel. We want to see Christ-centered and Bible-believing churches all across this community group. God's working. God's spirit is always working. And we as a church can be a part of that. And Naomi and I, we're going to be serving as church planners over there. We're going to go there next spring. We're moving to Asia. <laughs> We've both been there before. I've lived there for almost a whole year in the past. And so it's kind of going back, but it's, it's just so much better now. We're ready to go. And we're going to be there for many, many years. We're going in the spring, spring 2022. And we are about a quarter of the way there in terms of support raising. And so we're really, really excited. We've been wanting to tell you about this for a long time. And we're just so thankful for all of you who have been behind us and supported us and can't wait to get to know more of you. One of the things that um, we always want to do, I mean, anybody that wants to go, we want to send, but we don't want to be careless with it. And so there's a lot of testing, there's a lot of work, and there's a lot of training, there's a lot of affirmation, there's a lot of questions, and that's what we've done over years. And Zach, for example, he, he spent a year living already in the area that they're going. Um, they spent time when he was in college getting engaged with international students to do language learning. He has taken a ton of Bible classes, worked on his theology, has his entered into learning biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And this is all just like on the side to try to prepare for this mission that God had called him to. Naomi, when she was 12 years old, she had a, she had a group of friends, and they all gathered together, and they prayed. They said, God, would you set us apart for global missions? At 12 years old, I mean, she's been praying for this for, for a decade. She's been praying that, that God would send her, and a number of your friends are on the field or moving towards the field. And so this little group got set apart by God years and years and years ago to go do this work. She just got a master's degree in discipleship from New Orleans 
Baptist Theological School. Um, so all this to say they're putting the work and they've strategically structured their lives in such a way that they try to reduce debt to be able to go, try to create, a, create a, uh, uh, marketable skills as they go to be able to get visas and all sorts of things. And part of why you hear East Asia, and this is just a heads up as, you, as we ask you to get involved in prayer and part of their newsletters is we can't spread around exactly where they're going. They're preparing themselves to go to a place that's hard and difficult and challenging, but they're where Christ is not lifted up. In, uh, in the church, I don't, I don't remember where I heard this first, but there's, there's, there's really only two groups of people. There's the goers and the senders. This is the goers. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> this is the goers. Some of you are going to be goers. Some of you are living sent across the street, and some of you will live sent across the globe. And all of us can be part of being the senders. And really what that looks like, tangibly, is to pray. we got to pray like crazy. This is something that all of us can do as it opens our hearts to a global perspective. It's one of the greatest gifts God gives us is actually being a church community that's doing mission across the street but also across the world. It opens our eyes up to that we have a global God who cares about the nations, and so that we get to pray, we also get to, to give. And so there's two things that we're trying to raise funds for. There's a launch fund, and then there's also ongoing monthly support. And so I just want to encourage you, right now there's these cards in front of you, Make Disciples East Asia, and on the back of them is simply your name. You can do a phone number or email. And then there's little boxes that commit to praying, subscribe me to the newsletter, you could write something else, but, but you, you're not getting signed up for any more than just to hear a little bit more about what they're doing. And, and that it's, it's wise to do that. We want to look into it. You want to see, is this where God's calling me to steward my prayers and my resources? But I would encourage you, it's a really good, probably the best next step to get more information is to fill one of these out. And then after the service, there'll be baskets in the back that you can put those. Um, you can hand them to me, but we'll get those and so that we can get the newsletters to get different information going out. This is, we want to see this happen within like six months is the, is the hope. And COVID has tremendously slowed it down and created a number of hiccups, and, but they have kept persevering. I just think it continues to attest to your character, and I think it's continual confirmation of the call that God has placed on your lives. And so I'm going to pray. We're going to pray for you. We're going to commission them right before they leave, but for now, we just want to pray for you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the Wilkes. I thank you for the grace that you've given in their lives to first and foremost draw them to your son. And that what you've given them in Christ is, is, a, is a call to, to spread that amongst a community of people that, that are unengaged, where most live and die without ever even hearing the name of Jesus. It's hard for me to even get my head around that, growing up in the context that I do, but it's true. For millions and millions and millions and millions. And so, God, I pray that you would, the resolve that you've given them, the call that you've given them, you can only when she was 12, I pray that it would just deepen. God, thank you for a church community that gets to be part of this. Thank you for their extended families and friends that love Jesus that are already praying and standing with them. God, thank you for the unique privilege it is to, to be a part of a, a, a team of people, God, seeing someone meet Jesus. God, would you remove any discouragement from them? Would you keep them healthy, Father? Would you allow all of the, <laughs> the bureaucratic steps and details, God, would they, we ask that that mountain would be leveled in front of them. 
And by this spring, we would be able to joyfully and with tears in our eyes send two people that we love, three people with their daughter, off into a mission field to lift up the name of Christ. Jesus, we ask that you ask the Father for this community. Psalm 2 says that, that the Father wants to give you the nations. And so ask your Father for it. Prepare their hearts. Send the Spirit as you send this family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. I love you. Going to be in 1 John, chapter 5, verses 6 through 15, page 1023 in the Bibles in front of you. Oh, a lot of good stuff happening today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, might you um, make it loud, make it sing, make it authoritative to us, make it beautiful to us, and by your spirit, grant us the ability to believe it. Father, I ask that as we come to your word, we would not treat it just as ink on a page, but what it really truly is, your living and active word, that today points to and shows us what we need most. which is ultimately to leave this place more aware of our need and more impressed with Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In, uh, when I was in seminary about 20 plus years ago, um, my preaching professor, a guy named Scott Gibson, um, I just, I, I just kind of connected with him during conversations and lectures, and I'd never been mentored or discipled at that point in my life, and so I, I came to his office hours, and I said, Dr. Gibson, I don't know if you ever do this, but I was wondering if, if you would consider discipling me or mentoring me, and, uh, and I didn't know at the time, but this is kind of like his thing. Over the years, he has done this with uh, like 75 different guys. He calls them his, his boys. He, he, he welcomes you into his life, really integrates you into his, his family. He still sends me birthday cards every year, along with all the other guys, sends Thanksgiving cards, says, I'm grateful for you. He sent me a text this morning, just asked how my oldest daughter was doing off at college. I mean, imagine being that invested in so many lives. And in over 20 years, he's added a lot of people to that list. And, and recently, he sent an email asking, he said, you know, urgent prayer, you know, all the boys, urgent prayer. You got to pray. And he, it was a story about two people. Um, and uh, I didn't know him, but because I was one of the boys, I, I prayed. And this is a couple that was li is living in the United Kingdom uh, and uh, getting a, a doctorate right now. And uh, his wife, um, Hope, tested positive for COVID um, and was okay, got a little sick. He tested positive for COVID. He was okay, got a little sick. And then a few days later, both of them ended up in the ER and then the ICU She's 30 weeks pregnant, and so you're praying. You're just, like, that's, you know, people are nervous and worried and kind of scared. Where's this going to go? And so we're all praying all over the world, just praying, and then they started getting better. And he got released, and then she got released. A couple days doing okay, and then she started getting really sick again. ER or ambulance gets called. She gets thrown in the ambulance, and, and is taken back to the ER, gets admitted into the ICU, and... First day, not doing very well. The next day, doing significantly worse. Third day, they're, they're not sure she's going to make it. 
They're talking, do we need to deliver the baby? 30 weeks old. Right before they innovated her or put, the, put her on a respirator and attached some things that make it very difficult for her to talk, she got to call her husband. You just can't imagine what that phone call was like. You're on the edge of the great enemy, death. You just don't know how it's going to play out. Hope two days later had a miraculous turnaround. God intervened, and she did, her lung was cleared, and she got better and better in her heart restored, and all, like, just, just miraculous. And there was something in her write-up. After they got home and kind of healed up, they, they recounted their, their story a little bit just to let people in that had been praying to what was going on. And, and there was something that Hope wrote right before she had all this stuff attached to her, right after she had talked to her husband that, that was really stunning to me. It really stood out. She said this. She said, I sense God reminding me that he was good and loving, no matter if he called me home or gave me more time in this life. How do you say that in that moment? How do you stand on the edge, peering over the loom, with a 30-week-old baby and a husband at home with her, say, God's still good. Whether he brings me home or he gives me more time here. I would suggest that the only way you can do it is you believe that there is something stronger than death. That there is something that can conquer the thing that faces all of us. Today's text, in many ways, is the ultimate remedy for our worry and our anxiety and our uncertainty, and the unpredictability of this world because it's going to point us to someone and something stronger than death. And it's going to say you can actually know that you know it. And you can know that you believe it. And if you do, it really will change everything. And to get this, we need to hear something. Hear something very specific. We need to believe something. And then have the benefit of that belief, we need to know that we believe if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? First John 5, verses 6 through 15. This is God's holy life-confirming word. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony 
that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. Feel free to grab a seat. Boy, there is a tremendous number of things happening in this text. These verses by many are considered, particularly the first 12 or 11, or it's kind of verses 6 through 11, some of the most complicated, perplexing verses in 1 John. There's a variety of options as we talk about the water and the blood. Some, some would say the, the water and the blood that it's referencing, just to give you option one, would be um, what's known as the sacraments or the ordinances of the church, so talking about baptism, so what we're doing later today with Peyton, getting baptized, and then the blood representing communion, something that we will do after this sermon that we do every single week, so it's talking about what God is doing in Christ in our lives, so some would say it's that. Some would say the water and blood is, is actually focused more on, on Jesus and what he experienced at his death when he was pinned to a cross and, and a, a Roman soldier took a spear and put it into his side and out of his side spilled water and blood that came out. I'll give you a third option related again to Christ is that the water was not the water that was spilt at Christ's death, but it was actually the water that Jesus himself went into at his baptism. And then the blood represents his death on the cross. And so what is, what, what's the answer? What's, what's the option that we go with? I'll give you the option that I believe it is. And regardless of whether you think this is the right option from this text, it's biblical. It's biblical. One of the things that can help us is the context here because it talks about that the Spirit is testifying to something. It means the Spirit is proclaiming. God the Spirit is, is stirring our minds and our hearts to hear something, what's the Spirit testifying about? Well, it says it's testifying about Jesus, and it's saying the Spirit is testifying about Jesus that He came somehow, and He accomplished something. And if we go to verses 11 and following, namely what He came to do was this, to give eternal life to whoever believes in Him. So I would summarize it with option three. I think that the water refers to Jesus' baptism and the blood refers to his death. It's, I believe what the Spirit is doing is testifying to what is known as the gospel. The story how God comes to people walking in death and brings them in to life. These three witnesses are the life and the death of Christ and the Spirit that makes those events real to us both the life and the death. And so this is a wonderful time to actually pause and talk about those two realities, the life and the death of Christ. One of the ways we could do that is ask this question, why did Jesus become human? The story of Christianity in some ways is, is pretty, is, in many ways is very stunning. Part of what Christians believe is that God became flesh, that God wrapped himself in humanity, in the work of Jesus, who was born as a baby, 
and lived for 30 or 33 years, depending on how you count, before God was then crucified in the place of all those that trust him. And one of the questions we could ask is, why did Jesus become human? And there's a range of answers. There's a range of biblical answers. We can quote different verses. We could say he came to save. He came to die. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But one of the things I find is that, that I can do this, and I think many of us can do this. We have a tendency to very quickly step over what's known as the incarnation, God becoming flesh, and the life of Christ to get to the cross of Christ. And there's a reason for that. I mean, you, can, you know, there's a big cross on the wall as we think about the, the primary symbol of Christianity is the cross that if you look at like the gospel of Mark, a retelling of Jesus' life, half of it is life, but half of it is his death. And so it's, the cross features very prominent in the life of of. of Christianity and of Christians, but when we do that, when we pass too quickly over his life, this represented by the Spirit testifying to the water, the fact that Jesus came in flesh, we're going to miss something massive if we're going to have confidence and assurance right now. Jesus didn't just die the death that we were supposed to die. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live. Let's say that again. Jesus didn't just die the death that we deserved. He lived the life that we were meant to live. We're saved not just by Christ's death, but by his entire life. We could say it this way, Jesus had a substitutionary death, but he also lived a substitutionary life. I'll try to illustrate like this. Strava is a is an app or website that, that um, tracks people like riding bikes, mountain biking, running, all sorts of things. It's a way to like post what you did, record your exercise, you know, compare yourself with other people. I don't follow um, very many people on Strava. Some people in the church every now and then find out that I use it and they'll send me a, a request to, to be buddies on it. I always ignore those. I don't ever like to post anything because it's like the one thing in my life that I get to do and nobody gets to see. And so if you've sent me one, this is just a way to publicly say, I'm not ignoring you. I didn't choose someone over you. Nobody. I don't choose anybody, but I do follow a few people. One of the people that I follow is a guy named Jim Walmsley. He's one of my favorite. He's what's called an ultra runner. So he'll go around and run like 100 miles at a time. Just absolutely stunning. Him, Courtney Dallwater, who just won basically what is like the Olympics of trail running in Chamonix, France. I mean, just phenomenal, phenomenal runners. And I love following Jim. Um, so far this year, you can go and you can look at all of his stats. So if you're into baseball cards, just think about like baseball cards. You flipped them over and you're looking at the stats. So I'm looking at his, his runs. So far this year, he's run 2,614 miles. That's stunning. Most of us, you know, we haven't driven that much. We've been on lockdown with COVID, right? I mean, that's absolutely stunning. And, and the reality is a bunch of his miles aren't even recorded because he kind of hides them until after he has like a major race and then they get published again so, pe so other competitors can't see what you're doing. He's run five, 547,139 feet of elevation. He's climbed half a million miles. La like, he has weeks like this. The week of June 21st, he ran 137.2 miles and did over 25,000 feet of elevation. In a week. In a week. Now, I didn't realize you could do this, but I jumped on the web. I usually use it on my phone, the app, but I jumped on the website, and I'm looking at Strava, and I didn't know that it did this, but as you're looking at someone you're following, it puts up their stats, and then it puts up your stats next to it. Side-by-side <laughs> comparison. That was encouraging. 
his mile time, four minutes and four seconds. Mine's slightly slower. His best 100 miles, 100 miles, ran it in 14 hours and nine minutes. I mean, it was just absolutely stunning. I was absolutely leveled by it. Now, you may not be into ultra running, but if you were, you would want those stats. You want to be able to run the way he runs and run as far as he runs and run as high as he runs and run as fast and, and recover as quick as he recovers. I will never, ever, 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 ever have those stats. Here's why I bring this up. When I read the Gospels, you can do a side-by-side -side comparison with Christ. I want Jesus' kindness. I want Jesus' trust in the Father. I really want Jesus' prayer life. I really want Jesus' patience with others. I, I, I would give anything to have the wisdom of Jesus in the most complex situations. I would love to love my enemies the way Christ loved his enemies. I want the stats of, of Christ. I want, I want to be Christ-like. And as I look at the side-by-side -side comparison, the reality is, is I fall far short of who Christ is. But there's a way in which faith in Christ gives me the performance of Christ. 1 John 2.1, I've gone back to this verse over and over and over again as we've gone through this series. Here's what it says. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I want to look more like Jesus. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. It's saying that your righteousness, the, the good news of Christianity is not that you perform your way to God. It's that Christ came in flesh and did all of the performing that you were called to do and yet failed to do. That we are saved by his substitutionary life. That when you read through the Gospels, the thing that can allow us to stand before a holy God without fear is to look at it and see, I'm supposed to live like that. We say that, but we only say it after this, Jesus already lived like that in my place because I couldn't. He did it first. It's, it's not, what would Jesus do? I'm going to do that. Oh, we want to do that. But it's first, what did Jesus do for me in my place? Because I couldn't. Because I couldn't. Let that sink in. Let what grants assurance and what grants comfort and what grants confidence be the perfection of Jesus. Not not where you're doing well, not where you're doing poorly, not when you're loving okay, not when you're loving lousy, but the perfection of Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. As I said, we're not just saved by his substitutionary life, we're also saved by his substitutionary death. Jesus lived the life that we were meant to live, but then he died the death that we deserved, and that's the testimony the Spirit points to the water and the blood. Jesus lived in our place, and Jesus died in our place. Let me finish the verse, 1 John 2, 1 through 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for us only, but also the sins of the whole world, to the ends of the earth. Any that might 
trust in him. And this word propitiation, we had like a whole sermon. We talked about this. Here's what it means. A wrath-bearing offering. He took the curse. He took the punishment. He paid the debt. He substituted himself in the place of all those that would trust in him. He lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserved. And that's what the Spirit is testifying to, the water and the blood. And what this does is it gives us an invitation to believe. There's a couple words here in these verses that are really important. There's the word if in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. What are we going to believe? What are we going to believe is the Spirit proclaims the life of Christ and the death of Christ. What are we going to believe? Or maybe the whoever of verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God or whoever does not believe. And then just the starkness of verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, and 12, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's no more important question you'll ever answer than this, do I believe? Our culture both trivializes and globalizes the work of Christ. It trivializes it in this, that it's maybe not really that necessary. But it also globalizes it and says that really, pretty much everyone's going to be okay. Now, because of that, because we're conditioned by our culture with that sort of environment, we come to a verse like 12 that creates this stark contrast and we might struggle with it. We might buck up against it. We might think it's not fair, but I would suggest to you that what God is doing is respecting you enough to tell you the truth. And something so important is eternal life. He doesn't want any questions. He doesn't want you to be confused. He says, this is what's offered in Christ and nowhere else. And the response to it is, do you believe? The only place where life can be found, this text is saying, is in Christ. The only thing that allows you to stare down death and not blink is Christ. So he's saying, do you believe? Now, wherever you're at with that answer, don't miss this as an opportunity to make sure you've thought it through. In this room, there are people in a huge spectrum of belief. There, there really, truly are. And we're glad that everyone is here. I realize that in, in this room, there are people that do not believe. There's people that are asking questions. There are people that are confused about what they believe. There are people here that say, oh, I, be I believe that with everything in me. And some of the people that have come to belief in Christ through the work of the Spirit, it happened on a day like this on a Sunday where they sat in a pew and God the Spirit made the truths of Christ. Yes, I believe that. And they've never looked back. I'm praying that it happens for some of you. 
And there are people in this room that came to belief, but it didn't happen on a Sunday sitting in a pew. It happened after years of conversations and friendship and community with other people that did believe. And over time, the truths of, of Christ living the life that we were meant to live and dying the death that we deserved became real to them. Here's why I bring that up. Here's why I bring this up. If that's you, we're so glad you're here, and we would love to talk with you. We would love to carry on conversation. We'd love to answer questions and share life and seek truth with you. And so don't, don't leave this place saying, oh, I don't know if I believe that, and then forget to ask the question. Say, I don't know if I believe that, and say, I'm not sure I believe that, or I don't think I believe that, and let's talk. The promise of this text is too good to be dismissive of the question because what it says is it's eternal life. And look how good this, this is. Let's live inside this gift. When you receive it, this is some of what happens. John, Stett, John Stott says it like this. He says, three important truths are taught in these verses about eternal life. I love this. First, it is not a prize which we have earned or could earn, but an undeserved gift. It's all Christ. Secondly, it is found in Christ so that in order to give us life, God both gave and gives us his son. Thirdly, this gift of life in Christ is a present possession. What this is saying is we are saved by the grace of God in Christ alone and simply by accessing that through faith. But as we believe it, it makes all the difference in the world to come, but also now in this world. I'll give you a couple of examples of that, how, what it looks like to live in light of like, I have eternal life right now. That's the language of this text. It's like present possession of a future truth. John Owen, one of my favorite authors and pastors, wrote tons of books. Um, one of my sons is, is co-named after, after Owen. Um, one of my favorites, and on the day that John Owen died, he was having a visit from one of his friends. And he was in the process, he had just finished um, writing before he got really sick, had finished writing a book called The Glory of Christ. It was the last book that he was ever going to publish, and his friend came to visit him and filled him and said, hey, hey John, just wanted you to know the, the publishing on the book, it's going okay, the book is going to get out there, I just thought you'd want to know the update. And this is what, what John Owen said to him. He laid back in his bed and he spoke these words. This was the last words he ever said. I'm glad to hear it, but oh, Brother Payne. The long wished for day has come at last, in which I shall see the glory in another manner than I have ever done or was capable of doing in the world. He knew he had eternal life. Walked into the ICU here at St. Joseph's a number of years ago. And as I walked in, there was a family gathered around their mom who was about 52 years old. She had gotten pneumonia and began to get very sick. And walking to that room was such holy ground. Because what there was was a very well-worn Bible. And sons and daughter-in-laws and grandkids and a husband just singing quietly to one another. They were just singing the truths of their theology, the truth of their convictions. They were reminding and encouraging each other as they were on the doorstep of death that they have eternal life in Christ, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And it made all the difference. I remember seeing that, saying, oh, I want that. 
in Christ, what the text like this is telling us, in Christ we can have present peace because we have a glorious forever. Right now, and when you take these extreme examples of, of facing death, you can scale it back to everything else. Everything else in your life. If, if, if Christ can conquer death, what else can't he conquer? If Christ can give calm in the face of death, what else can't he calm? And it's what John wants us to know, and that's why we, it goes into verse 13. If you're going to summarize the entire letter, you might just quote verse 13. I write these things so that you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you might know that you know. That there might be this resolved confidence that, that I know that I'm Christ. Not because of my performance. No, it's His life and His death. Not because of my willpower. No, it's a work of the Spirit to cause me to believe. Not because of how I love. No, I have Christ's stats credited to my account. And I can know that I know. John is writing. He says, I write these things to you. He's writing to a community of people just like this. And in, in John, just like now, there's, there's different audiences that hear these words. There's, there's Christians that know they're Christians. And they're living with what's known as blessed assurance. Not because of how they do. They're not looking at their performance. They're not looking at it. They're, they're looking at Christ. They're saying, I know I'm his. I know he's mine. I know what I have. But then there's Christians that just don't know they're Christians. And that's why John is right. He's trying to get those that truly have faith to believe it, to, to not doubt that they can live with this confidence, this present peace because of a glorious future. J.C. Ryle says it like this. He says, faith is the root and assurance the flower. Doubtless you can never have the flower without the root, but it is no less certain that you may have the root and not the flower. Saying you can be truly saved and not truly believe it. And what John is trying to do, the whole letter, the whole series, this whole sermon series has been to try to apply this into our lives that we might have it. James Montgomery Boyce says it like this, John is writing to lead those who already believe to a deeper understanding of the faith and to confidence in that which they already possess. Now, there's a couple more audiences, though. There's those that think they're Christians, but they're not. And to that, John has given a number of, of tests or evidences over and over again through 1 John to try to get us to have some self-awareness of, do I actually believe this? And then we could say a fourth audience would be non-Christians that know they're non-Christians, but can be through faith in Christ. And so how do you know that you know? Well, one of the ways we know is the testimony of the Spirit. There's this internal sense. There's this sense of like, I know. I know that I trust Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need His grace. I know that He died for me. I know that He lived for me. There's this sense, and some of us have that to varying levels. Some of us, that looks very emotional. For some of us, that looks very calm. can look a lot of different ways, but that's the testimony of the Spirit, this evidence, this witness that the Spirit brings in. But John's given us another kind of witness to help us know, to know that we know. We have this internal one, but the, John has also given us this external one. And through the series, we've summarized it so many times, but there's these three evidences that come out. What do I believe? What do I do? How do I love? And it's another way that we can get at the same thing. And remember, John's not trying to get us to question, like to, to doubt that we're Christians if we're Christians. He's trying to get us to actually believe that we are so we don't face it. And well, I sure hope he wants something more than that for us. Our Father wants something more than that for us. And so he gives us these, what do I believe? 
How do I behave? What do I think about God's commands and how do I love? How do I love God and others? But the problem is, there's a problem with this because we're talking about assurance, but then when we get a, begin to look at like, well, how do I believe and how do I obey and how do I love? Well, I don't feel very sure when I look at those things because I don't always believe that well. And I don't always obey that great. And I don't really consistently love. So what do we do with that? Let me give you this quick. I, I've, I've gone slower than I should, so I'm going to try to do this kind of fast. If you hang in there with me, this is really important. How might you know that you know? You have an internal sense of it. But how do I know that I know? I can look at these three evidences, but let me give you some handles as you do it. Let me give you three different handles. Patterns, people, and penitence. Or repentance, but I need another P, okay? Patterns, people, penitence. Patterns. One of the things that John wants his people to listen to, and I think God wants us to look at, is what's the trajectory of my life? Snapshots are a terrible way of telling you whether or not you're a believer in Christ or not. Any of us on any moment of the day <laughs> look like we are faithful followers of Christ, and another snapshot looks like we are the devil himself. Snapshots are really bad. Multi-decade documentaries on your life are pretty good. Over the years, do you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life? Never flawlessly. Remember 1 John 2, 1, why we went back to it so many times is this. I write these things, little children, I write these things so that you may not sin. But when you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. John knew that people weren't going to be sinless, that perfection isn't coming. What we're looking for is patterns. We're looking for patterns of, yeah, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yes, I want to obey. Help me in my disobedience. Yes, I want to love others, but God, my heart isn't always there. But do I see a pattern? Is there, is there a sign of life to some extent? You, know, you think about like an like a apple tree. Do you, got, do you even just got like a little tiny crab apple on there? Is there something? Do you look at the patterns of your life? People. It's one of the great gifts of God's people. We don't have to just look at ourselves. We can look at others. We can say, what do you see in me? Do you see Christ at all in me? Do you see the work of the Spirit through me? Let me push this even a little further. It's an appeal for church membership. You're going to feel like this is the weirdest application in the world. Let me push this for why church membership matters. I was reading a membership book by um, a guy named Jonathan Lehman, and he, he sets the table on the importance of membership for assurance in our faith with a metaphor. He, he says, I want you to think about the local church like an embassy. And I'll, I'll quote him kind of slowly here. He says, this way, he says, where am I getting the idea of an embassy? I'm getting it from the biblical idea of Christ's kingdom. A church is not the kingdom is an outpost or an embassy of the kingdom. What's an embassy? It's an institution that represents one nation inside another nation. It declares its home nation's interest to the host nation, and it protects the citizens of the home nation living in the host nation, or the home nation living in the host nation. For instance, I think this will make more sense. I've spent five months of college. I spent five months of college in Brussels, Belgium. During that time, my U.S. passport expired. If I had tried to leave the country without renewing my passport, I would have gotten in trouble. 
I no longer had valid documentation affirming that I was a U.S. citizen. One afternoon, I went to the U.S. Embassy in Brussels and had my passport renewed. Listen to this. The embassy didn't make me a U.S. citizen that afternoon, but it did officially affirm it. But what if I told you there's another kind of embassy, one that represents a place from the future? That's what the local church is. It represents the whole group of people under Christ's lordship who will gather at the end of history. There is a place on earth where citizens of heaven can, at this moment, find official recognition and asylum. It's the local church. Now, I remember when I first heard that, I was like, come on. The more I looked at the Bible, the more I thought about what a local church is, it has the, kings of the, 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 king, it has the keys of the kingdom. What, what the church gets to do, and one of the things that some of us are struggling with to say, like, am I a follower of Christ, is because the people of God have not gathered around you and said, yes. Now, they're not the ones that make you a Christian. Just like the embassy doesn't make someone a citizen, but what they do is they affirm it. They sit there, and that's why if you go through the membership process here, one of the things that we do is we ask, how do you become a Christian? And as you retell what God has done in your life, what you get is a whole community of people that look at you and say, we affirm that. You're not, you don't have to be out there on your own. You don't have to try to like, ah, well, do I obey enough? Do I believe enough? You have other people around you that look into your life and say, oh, we see Christ's work in you. We, we see the love of God through you, perfectly known. But this is what we see. In penitence, how do you respond? One of the best things with these evidences says someone who's a follower of Christ is going to believe this about Jesus, they're going to care about God's commands, and they're going to love God and love others. How do you feel when you've come to an awareness that you're not doing that the way you're supposed to? It's one of the most important ways that you can test, do I believe? Do you care? Do you care? Do you care when you fall short? Or do you care that you care? I, I, do you, or do you care that you care, that you don't care, that you want to care, you, you like want to? And somewhere in there is this desire that says, I want to look more like Jesus, but I don't, so God, would you help me? Things like conviction and sorrow and contrition, I will tell you this, and I hope this frees all of us to be honest about being sinners, because this text says the only way we got into this is by confessing our need for a Savior because we're sinners, amen? So in this church, when we think about sin, let me tell you this, we don't care, <laughs> we're not so much concerned when you sin. We're concerned when you don't care that you sin. And there's a huge difference. Being aware that we fall short in these tests is actually one of the ways that says, I think I'm, I'm in the faith. And the great promise of that, again, the point of 1 John isn't to make you doubt, but to help you know. So that you might have, as I'm going to not even preach these verses, we'll hold them for next week, but verses 14 and 15 that you can have confidence before him. You can come in prayer with confidence. He's your father, and you're his son or his daughter, who right now, because of a glorious future, can have present hope. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, eternal life, assurance, confidence, true freedom and rest does not depend on circumstances, people, or anything changing. It's not tied to the economy, to politics, or the pandemic. 
in you we are forgiven, righteous, and beloved. By you we have present peace and a glorious forever. Thank you. Make these priceless gifts palpably real and powerfully encouraging to us. Many of us have experienced a lot of disappointments over this past year. But there's one hope that we can fully count on. That if we have you, we have everything that really matters. Father, how you love us. In this very moment, you love us like you love Jesus. Humble us by your spirit. Gentle us gospel and free us to be generous with your grace all we can in Jesus name we pray amen the band comes forward and we prepare to sing a few songs we're going to respond with by receiving communion um, I appreciate your patience I, I know I went long um, I don't want to rush past this moment. Nothing's more important than what's about to happen. We're preparing to receive communion where there's a, a little, little cup with juice and bread representing the body and the blood of Christ. This is really a culmination of a text like this that through his, his life and his death, this is how we lay hold of eternal life. You're going to hold these elements in your hands, and I pray that God would make what you have in Christ palpably real, more real than the physical elements that you hold. And, and this table is open to anyone here, just on, it's, it's, there's one condition, and it's not how you live, and it's not how you perform, and it's not the promises you make, it's not the bartering you do with God. Here's the one condition. Do you believe? Do you believe? So my hope is that during this time, the Spirit will make the truths of Christ real to you for the first time or real to you for the millionth time. You would go to this table and you'd say, because of Christ, because he lived the life that I was meant to live and he died the death that I deserve, I have a glorious forever. You can feel free to respond at any time you want over the next few songs.
the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and built your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness told through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is risen Jesus Christ my boundless grace the God of ages sent down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame the cross has spoken I am forgiven the King of kings calls me Yeah. 